Maybe when we finish this whole Tough Question series, we're going to do something on the jokes that Jesus told or something like that, because he told some doozies. Um, we're going we're gonna to do a little table discussion to start this off. Can you all bring the lights up a little bit? Uh, and we're going to start off very lightly with some table discussion. We're not going to get into this type of stuff. In fact, your first question is, who was your favorite cartoon character when you were growing up? Share that with your table. First one that comes to your mind. You, you just start talking. One, two, three, go. SpongeBob, that's not when you were growing up. That's when your son's growing up. <laughs> Second question, did your favorite cartoon character have any superpowers? And then go to weaknesses. Superpowers and then... Weaknesses. What weaknesses did your cartoon character have? Scooby Snacks. <laughs> You're right. That was a weakness. Scooby was one of my favorites. <laughs> Thank you for joining. Yeah. This question is, did your, did your, um, oh, sorry, they, they're getting in on this. They decided to join the front table. So cartoon character, did they have any superpowers? What weaknesses? And then the last thing, if you could have any one superpower, what would it be? Share that with your table. Some of you know way too much about your cartoon character, friend. Um, these discussions got deep real quickly. Wow, man. I had no idea. How many of you, um, just just show of hands, how many of you, um, you know of somebody that's dealing with the, the, the issue of homosexuality? Can I see your hands? I remember about 15 years ago, if you were to ask that question in a church, maybe one or two people would raise their hands because folks weren't going to talk about it even if, the, if it was a problem. But when I was in seminary, um, I, was, I was in the, the youth department. I remember one of the professors saying, within 10 years, uh, he said this just as confident as he, as he could be. He said, within 10 years, everyone, every church will be dealing with this issue because somebody on the staff, somebody, you know, a prominent member of the church, 
somebody is going to have a family member that's going to come out of the closet and we're going to have to deal with this issue. And let me just ask you just one one bonus question. How do you think the church has done over the past 10 years in dealing with the issue of homosexuality? Has the church gotten a passing grade or a failing grade? Failing grade. Well, that's one of the reasons we chose this issue to talk about in our Tough Question series. Because we've always said we want this to be a safe place where you can ask questions. Where folks can come. It doesn't matter. You know, I'd love to see the lady that, that said, I am a homosexual. I'd like to see that lady in this church. Um, but we've got to be the type of people that will love folks no matter what. Let me give you some examples that, that aren't in my book, that aren't Christian, and that they are going to be judged just as harshly um, for the way they've acted towards folks that are far from God. John Polk will never forget the 1986 Gay Pride Parade in downtown Columbus, Ohio. As a well-known female impersonator, he was riding in the back of an elegant red Mustang convertible, dressed in a white linen suit with pleated skirt and matching white blazer. His long blonde hair caught wisps of, of a light breeze as hundreds of people cheered him from the sidewalks. Candy, we love you, a man yelled. You're the most gorgeous drag queen in Columbus. John smiled, waved, and threw another handful of starlight peppermints into the applauding bystanders. Suddenly, John heard chanting and screaming up ahead and spotted a small crowd of people waving Bibles over their heads. Some held signs with messages like, God hates fags and turn or burn. By the way, there is a website called GodHatesFags.com. I read it. I almost threw up at their statements of what what they believe is Christian. It made me sick to my stomach. I printed it off and I gave it to Janie and I said, read this trash. And they stand up and they act holier than thou and they hold up signs and they say, fags die, go to hell, God laughs. That is not the message that Jesus Christ would have brought. Here's what John thought. Why don't you hateful people leave us alone? We're not hurting you, John thought, as an eerie sickness gripped his stomach. Then another thought struck him. Who would ever want to follow a God like the one they're displaying? Six months, a local, six months later, a local pastor who had befriended John at the print shop where John worked invited himself over to John's apartment. Although he suspected the minister was coming to talk about God, John consented. That night, they prayed together as John committed his life to Christ, and, and he soon left homosexual involvement as he became deeply involved in the church. Today, John and his wife, Anne, a former lesbian, live in Colorado where John works for Focus on the Family. Ever heard about Focus on the Family? Yeah, very well-known conservative Christian radio program that are reaching out to folks who are struggling with homosexuality. Thousands of other men and women. I've, I've did more research on this topic than just about any I've done in my life. Thousands of men and women have come out of the homosexual lifestyle. But it was not Bible-beating, bashing, you know, holier-than-thou people that got them out. You know what they said in every case? There was a group of genuine Christians who loved them and listened to them. And, and guys, let me tell you this. Because, you know, looking back on my life, there were times that, that you probably could call me homophobic. Um, but what they said for, for men coming out of the homosexual lifestyle, one of the number one factors for them making the transition from that lifestyle was heterosexual men accepting them for who they were, talking to them and becoming accountability partners and, and Bible study partners with them. Um, Loving Christians, genuine, demonstrating genuine love and concern, that's what made the difference. 
Now, I have two chairs up here today. And I want you to pretend that someone close to you, either they've just told you or maybe you've suspected for a long time, you're sitting in one chair, they're sitting in the other chair, and they say to you, I know that we may be worlds apart on this difference. I know you claim to be a Christ follower. Tell me what you believe about homosexuality. What would you say to your friend? I hope that by the time we finish, you'll have some things that you can share and that God will give you opportunities to reach out to folks. Well, let's get after it. First thing that I would say, if, if I were sitting there talking to him, the first thing I would say is God loves you. God loves you. We say all the time that God loves the world, right? What is the most famous verse in Christianity? What's the first one most of our children learn? John 3.16. Well, all right, let's, let's put it up here. And let's read this out loud because you cannot read it like this. It doesn't say this. I, we put it up here, though, on purpose. I want you to read it with me. Ready? For God so loved the world, except for the homosexual, that He gave His one and only Son, except for the homosexual, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life, except for the homosexual, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, except for the homosexual, but to save the world through Him. You cannot say except for anything. The Bible is clear. God loves everybody. God creates you. Read Psalm 139. God creates you in your mother's womb. And He loves every one of His creations. So you cannot say except for anything. That is, that's not legitimate. So the first thing I'd say is, God has this amazing ability. Jesus, when He walked on the earth, had this amazing ability to love anybody. The, those who were socially outcast and have homosexuals been socially outcast in our society? Yes, God loves them. But let me, let me just give you a little news flash before you go any further. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so, if I stand on my high horse and I say, Whoa, I'm better than you, then that's, that's something that God's going to judge me for. That's pride. And the Bible says... Pride goes before the fall. The Bible says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So be real careful about pride in this deal. But, you know, if I'm going to be honest and if they want to know what I really believe, and I, I had a conversation this week over an hour talking to someone who is, is a homosexual. And, and I, I had to say this next thing. It's not easy to say, but, but it's what I believe. Number two is homosexuality is a sin. It is not the only sin, and it is not an unforgivable sin, but it is a sin. And you know, every one of us hates that word when it's applied to our lives. Sin is an ugly word, and we don't like that applied to us. Homosexuality is included in a long, long list of sins in the Bible. Many of them you and I commit. Many of them maybe you don't commit. Maybe you don't struggle in that area. But it's a long list of sins, and it is a sin. And let's talk about this. Because several people said on this, on this video, well, it's in there somewhere. Well, that's not good enough. I think it's in there. I, well, let's look specifically where it talks about this. Leviticus 18.22. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Now, this is in, if you look at the whole chapter, the, the context is they're talking about sexual practices. And this is one of the things, it's just real straightforward. If you, if you lie with a, uh, he's talking to men, if you lie with a man as you lie with another, uh, with a woman, that is detestable is what God says. All right, look at the next one. 
What was God's original intent for humans? Genesis 2, 20 and 24. The man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, but for Adam, no suitable helper. Now, helper is not the best term for us to understand. I use this all the time in, in wedding ceremonies because I want the couple to understand. When God looked down and saw one thing in the Garden of Eden that was not good, it was that man was alone. And what did he do? He created woman, and Janie reminds me of this all the time. The actual term is God created woman as a rescuer for this state of affairs. What state of affairs? Man was alone. Every other animal in the garden, God created male and female. And I believe He did it on purpose so that Adam got to name all of these and he got to say, Wow, you know, there's couples here. I'm alone. And God created woman to correspond to His needs. She's a rescuer for this state of affairs. Every time Janie finds something that I can't find, I get frustrated because I'll put something down, I forget it, and she'll find it, and I'll say, thanks, babe. She goes, I'm a rescuer for this state of affairs. Thank you for reminding me. I appreciate that greatly. You have helped me out, and I acknowledge that. The very first couple, it is significant that the first couple was male and female. Because one of the arguments that I read and I heard over and over is that, well, they were addressing cultural issues. When God created the world, there was no cultural issue. It was the beginning of time. And God created male and female. So that's incredibly significant. And then we talked about last week, we talked about divorce. And when Jesus was asked about divorce, he didn't go back to Deuteronomy 24.1, which everybody knew was the controlling text of that day in the cultural setting. What he did was he went back to the beginning. He said, what was God's original intent for marriage? One man, one woman for a lifetime. That was God's original intent. So when man was alone, God said he needs somebody to meet his needs. And when he created woman, he created her especially to meet the needs of man. But think about it. Man also met the needs of woman. So we really are a completer is what God created us to do. He created us in his image. And part of his image is to live in in community with someone else. And that's what marriage is designed to be. So God chose the proper relationship from the beginning, man and woman. All right, Romans 1, 21, 24 through 27. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their perversion. Now, again, the argument that I was that I came across over and over was that they were that this passage was written to a group of people who were involved in in idolatry, pagan worship. And and partially, yes, that's true. But Paul's whole whole purpose in writing this was to say Christians are supposed to be different. We don't want Christianity associated with the practices of these pagan religions. And so they said this was this was almost verbatim. The argument was, well, that's talking about temple prostitutes, the male prostitutes having homosexual relations with others. And and so they said in that instance, homosexuality is wrong. But in a monogamous relationship, it is okay. That does not make sense to me because I want you to look at the passage. Um, Look at the things that it says there. 
It says sinful desires, sexual impurities, degrading, shameful lusts, unnatural relations, inflamed, indecent acts, perversion. It's, it, is, it does talk about pagan worship, idol worship, but it's condemning these things. If homosexuality is not a sin, then, then nothing in this book is a sin. Because if you want to, you can explain away any action that you are trying to do. You can find half a, half a phrase in the, um, in the Bible, half a, half a verse, and you can, you can make it sound like um, what you're engaging in is okay according to the Bible. You've got to take the whole context of the Bible and you compare the Bible verses to Bible verses. That's how you determine what God has to say on a subject. And over and over, God tells us that this isn't right. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now look, there's a long list of, of sins here. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. There's a whole list there. Homosexuality is one of the list. Now, here's what I want you to do. Table discussion. Most people have a sin scale. That's right. We are happy to have that baby here, aren't we? She came uh, last Monday, so we're glad that she's here. Um, most people have a sin scale, right? Certain sins we think are okay. Certain sins we think are not okay. Certain sins are horrendous. Certain sins are not so bad. So let's find out about your sin scale. I'm going to give you a list of sins, and I want you to rate these at your table. You, you can discuss them at your table on a scale of 1 to 10. One being, you know, it's just not that big a deal. Ten being, it's, it's horrible. Here are your list of sins. Rate those. Discuss that at your table. this video and, and tell me how you respond to it. Check this out. Here comes a video. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, our Savior, 
to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And you got some real creatures here at the Marilyn Manson concert. Creatures, anti-Christ creatures, uh, pro-Satan creatures, uh, heathen creatures. Um, and so I need to, uh, and the Church of Jesus Christ needs to tell them to repent. They're going to go to hell if they continue this type of activity. Hey, man. What's the word? What, 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 uh, what are you doing? I'm uh, making Christians into Christians. Making Christians into Christians. Building their character. Okay. Do you do you ever stand on the street corner and do this kind of Absolutely. Thing? Now, what is what is the usual response that you get? Uh, getting, uh, I hold a different message when I go out on the streets here. I'm at a Christian convention here. Take that card right there out of the Bible. When I'm on the streets, I'm warning the wicked. I'm out, I'm out there to save the saved. Here, I'm here to save the saved. So how do you plan on, on, on convincing them to repent? Um... I'm going to let the Holy Spirit use my van, which I just toured the place. Let the Holy Spirit take the Word of God and the Jesus saves from hell sign and let them prick their hearts that, oh, and I'm shaking my finger like, no, no, stop doing that, don't go here, so that the Holy Spirit will then work in their hearts and say, uh, yeah, that guy's right, you better not go in there. Hey, get this. Saturday morning... I hit the Howard Stern uh, deal in the morning, Saturday morning. I hit the Marilyn Mon Manson uh, bisexual uh, heathen uh, at the Anaheim Pond Saturday night. I hit the L.A. Marathon this morning with the banner. And uh, now I'm back here at the forum tonight, so I'm, I'm having a heck of a weekend. Today I heard somebody say, it's okay to sin. It's okay because God's going to come back and say, did you read the Bible? I, you're a great person. No, you were sinning. He does not accept sin in his, in his kingdom. If you sin, you not inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you continue to sin, all that's left is, is judgment and raging fire. God's going to throw you into hell for even being around here. You're going to hell. Just being here. Mom, you need to get it together. Get your girls going to church. I'm going to worry about it. You don't go to church. If you went to church, you couldn't be here. This is Antichrist. They got Antichrist on their t-shirts. Wake up, Mom. The Bible is 100% Christianity is 100%, and that's the only way you're going to make it to heaven. The only way. Obey God. Walk as Jesus is. Not yourself. You cannot make it to heaven by being yourself. You have to be like Jesus. Tell the people about the good news that He does save lives. There is a heaven. And warn the wicked that they are going to hell. And if you don't, you might go to hell yourself on Judgment Day. Period. And sentence. In the Bible, 100%. Don't change it for your needs. Don't change it for somebody else's needs to make them think you're going to heaven. Because you are a liar. Speak the truth and make it to heaven. I encourage all you young people to uh, uh, get signs and come out here at these rock concerts and Bible tracks from your church and start spreading the word and warning these kids are going to go to hell, that's your job. And if you don't do it, on Judgment Day, when these people go to hell, they'll say, Well, nobody ever told us we were going to hell. Nobody was ever down there. If we were going to hell, the loving Christians would have come down and said, Repent. Well, 
I'm down here. So how effective do you think that method would be? What what do you think those people think about Christians? Right. So what sins were these guys guilty of? Yeah. Condemning. Pride. Was there any love in their tone of voice? Did you sense any of that? No. Oh, man. It says 100%. It also says to love your neighbor as yourself. That's exactly right. And I think that they're going to be judged. And, and really, you know, the Bible says faith, hope, and love, these three remain, but the greatest of these is love. I have never seen someone legislate another person into a right way of acting. You can't regulate it. But I've seen love win people out. Now, here's what we tend to do. We tend to underestimate the seriousness of sins that we're tempted with. And we tend to overestimate the seriousness of sins that we're not tempted with, right? Because probably a lot of you here, you... you don't understand the homosexual mindset, and so that, that becomes real easy for you to condemn that. If you've ever come through that, then you understand it very well. And, and you may be the person that, that God calls to reach out to folks in the homosexual community. Now, here's, here's the problem with us labeling our sins. You know, my sins aren't as bad as your sins, that type of deal. Let's say that this circle represents your life. Now, we know that the Bible tells us that you cannot get into heaven if you have one sin in your life because heaven is a perfect place. God is a perfect God. God is holy. That means He has no sin. He can't look upon sin. So if you have one sin in your life, then you do not qualify to go to heaven. Let's say that my sin is telling little white lies. So every time I tell a little white lie, I get these little dots. Kind of looks like measles, doesn't it? I'll put a smiley face there. Didn't intend to do that. Um, give me a marker and I, I go crazy. Okay, so this is this is me. Well, let's say that, you know, and, and I'm not so bad in my eyes. I'm not so bad. But let's say here's Wes. Now, Wes, oh, man, Wes has got big old sins and he's got all this stuff. And so I can understand, you know, I'll put his eyes there and put his mouth here. Okay, so there's Wes. Oh, yeah, and, and some horns. Yeah, there we go. So, I'm not nearly as bad as... <laughs> Jeff still has his voting card from last week. You remember the yes and no things? He's going yes back there on, on the West thing. Um, and let's say, let's say we got Alex here. I don't ever pick on Alex. Let's say Alex is here, and, and Alex, you know, he's from Argentina, and Argentinians, they don't sin, so he's just got one or two. The problem is, the Bible says, if you have any sins in your life, then you do not qualify to go to heaven. And here's the thing. The comparison is not me to Wes or me to Alex, Alex to Wes. The comparison is to Jesus. 
And the Bible tells us that in Jesus' life, there is no sin. So what you have to do in order to get into heaven, you either have to go and stand before God and say, God, please let me into heaven based on the sins that I have in my life. Doesn't make sense because God said this is a perfect place and you can't come into heaven if you have one sin. But I'm better than Wes. And he says, that's not the issue. The issue is, are you like my son? So I either have to present my list of sins and say, here's the reason I get into heaven. Or I have to say, I'm not good enough, God. And he says, I know. That's why I provided a perfect way. The only way you get into heaven is to come on his ticket. You either have to be perfect or you got to know someone who's perfect to get into heaven. And so I don't need to worry about comparing myself to others. I don't need to say I'm superior to a homosexual because I have sins in my life that I struggle with. And we are human and you have a list of sins that you struggle with. And those things disqualify us from condemning others. Okay, now let's let's talk about something here. Um. You brought this up, and this is where I wanted to go with this. Isn't judging homosexuality a sin? Isn't judging a sin? Well, there's an apologist, and many of you heard him. His name's Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell said the most quoted verse from the Bible used to be John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But now, the most quoted verse in the Bible, and this has happened in about the last ten years, is Matthew 7.1. Judge not lest you be judged. People that don't know squat about the Bible say, don't you judge me. It's in there somewhere. They don't know where. It's in there. Don't you judge me. Now, let's talk about this. Because if you look at Matthew 7 and you read the whole context, it's obvious that God is not saying that we don't judge things because there are certain things that it's real obvious that that are sins. Would anybody here say that that child molestation is okay? Would anybody here say that rape is okay? It's obvious to call those things wrong. There are some things that that we can call wrong. There are some boundaries. And and that's what this is talking about. Judge not me says, I do not condemn you to hell based upon your actions. I believe that God is great enough that he can come into your life and he can change anyone. Because if you read the rest of Matthew 7, it says, do not judge your brother until you take the log out of your own eye. Until I deal with some of these issues that are in my life, when I deal with some of these issues, maybe I can see a little more clearly and a little more compassionately to help you deal with the issues in your life. It is okay to judge. It is not okay to condemn. This guy was telling everybody, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. That's not his job. His job, according to Scripture, is to love people. God's job is to determine whether they go to heaven or not. You see the difference? And you see how this, these folks are putting up walls that actually drive people further away from Jesus Christ instead of bringing them to Him. So it is not judgmental for me to state God's standard. Is it judgmental for me to say that the best place for a choo-choo train to run is upon the tracks? Because all kinds of bad stuff happens when a choo-choo train hops off the track. Until I have children. There's a choo-choo. They're getting bigger now, so we don't call them that anymore, but... I can long for the old days. What happens when the train gets off the track? All kinds of hell breaks loose. It is not judgmental for me to say God's original intent for man, for woman, one man, one woman, 
sex within a marriage. That's God's original intent. It's what we were made for. The train was made to run on the tracks. You and I were made for heterosexual relationships. That's not judgmental. Now, (coughs) excuse me. (coughs) Let me give you... Let me take a drink. Let me give you a little insight into why I believe the homosexual community is so angry so often. There seems to be a double standard going on, not just in churches, but in our society. And what we do is we say, here's our list of of what's okay to do. And usually that list includes the things that either I've already done or that I'm tempted to do on a regular basis. That we say is okay. But the things I'm not tempted to do, things I don't do on a regular basis, we'll say those are outside the realm of what's a possibility. And so the standard just becomes what I want. And so the homosexual community says... That's the standard? Just what you want? We want that too! Why are you being so ridiculous to us? Why can't we have what we want if you can have what you want? And so, we, can, we, can't, we don't have any right to say these sexual sins are alright and these sexual sins aren't alright if it's just what we want. The problem is, you know, um, mora- majority rules instead of morality rules in our society. And if you just go out and poll everybody and say that's what the standard is going to be, I'm sorry, but the standards change. Look over the past 2,000 years since Jesus Christ was on this earth. Every society, the standards change all the time. It's a moving target. So we've got to figure out whom we will believe. And so I think that's why the homosexual community is upset. Because we as Christians are supposed to live by a different standard. Not what we want, but what God wants. And so when we, when we say, this sin is okay, but your sin is not okay, that's a double standard. They see right through that. And there's no way we're going to convince anybody by living like that. Here's another question that my friend might ask me. Well, I've, I've gotten the idea that sometimes homosexuality, well, actually, that it's an unforgivable sin. Is that true? Once I've committed the sin, I'm condemned to hell. No. Homosexuality is not a heaven or hell issue. It's a sin issue. And there is only one unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is not trusting Jesus Christ to cleanse you from your sins before you die. When you stand before God, the one issue He's going to ask you, the question is, what did you do with my son? Did you accept what he did? If you did, you get to come into heaven. You're adopted into God's family. If you didn't accept him, then you have to go in based on your standard, and your standard is not good enough. The Bible says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, it's a sin, but it's not an unforgivable sin. The biggest problem that homosexuals homosexuals have is not homosexuality. It's not even sexuality. It's a Jesus Christ issue. They need Jesus Christ in their life. Okay, another thing that I would say to my friend if they were sitting in this chair. You have a choice. Oh, my soul, this is not politically correct in this day and age. But if we're going to be honest that we've got to say this. I have to say this. You have a choice. What does the Bible teach us about choice? I put this on your listening guide and I actually didn't label all of the verses. It should be Romans 1, 25 through 27. Here's what it says. And you have this there. I want you to, to read along as, as I read this. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. I want you to circle in that sentence, exchanged. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Going on. Because of this, God gave them over to a shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations. Circle the word abandoned. 
The men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Exchanged, abandoned, those words have to do with choice. You made a choice. I made a choice. And, and we make choices to sin all the time. In this particular passage, it is talking about the sin of homosexuality. It says, you abandoned, you made the choice. But right in the middle of this whole section about sexual perversion, there is one of the most remarkable verses in the Bible that tells us about the foundation of moral choices. It's verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and served created things rather than the Creator. The foundation for right choices is right here. Here it is. Two foundations of moral choices. The first one is who's telling the truth. The verse says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. If I'm going to make the right choices in life, godly kind of choices, I've got to settle this issue. Who's telling the truth? The people out on the street, the people that I watch on TV, the, the singers that I listen to. Um, we were at a soccer game last night and, and one of the eight-year-old girls said, Did you hear this girl? I don't even know the name of the girl singing. I said, Well, no. Who's that? I don't even know who that is. Well, she sings this song. I said, Well, I didn't hear it. She said, Well, they played it at the soccer game. I wasn't paying any attention. I was watching soccer. And she said, Yeah. She And she started naming. I mean, didn't she, of course, she didn't say them. She's eight years old. But she started naming. Oh, she she used this cuss word and this cuss word, you know, the A word and this word. And she, she was naming how many times the girl did it in, in this deal. And I thought, Wow. This is an eight-year-old. She knows all the words of the song, and she knows those words are wrong. So am I going to let that lady, whoever sings that song, teach my daughter what's right and what's wrong? No way. She doesn't have that right. But that's what we're saying. If, if we listen to, if, if all we do is we let TV and uh, entertainers and sports stars be the ones that, that influence our children, who, who's going to... Who's telling the truth and who are you going to listen to? They exchange the truth of God for a lie. That's easy to do. There's a whole lot of lies in our society, isn't it? So we've got to make some choices about that. The second foundation is, who will I worship? The last part of the verse says, they served created things rather than the Creator. It means in a lot of instances they served their bodies and the desires of their bodies became the ruler of their life. Whatever, whatever I want to do becomes right because if it feels good, I do it. I am the master of my universe. And that got them in a whole lot of trouble. And you can see that getting people in trouble all the time. When you attach worth to something, that is really what you're worshiping. And anytime any relationship or anything comes in between you and God, you are worshiping an idol. And you're in serious danger of consequences. So, who's telling the truth? What will I worship? Those are the things that determine the foundation of your moral choices. Now, here's something else I would tell my friend. Last thing. You can change. Again, this is not politically correct. But I've asked those two questions. I've asked, who's telling the truth? I believe God's telling the truth. And who will I worship? I'm going to choose to worship God. And so I'm going to allow God's standards to be what I rule my life by. And so... If I'm talking to this, this um, person who's a homosexual, they might say, Okay, is there any example anywhere of someone coming out of homosexuality into heterosexuality? And I, I would have to say yes. There's examples in the year 2005, but let's go all the way back to the Bible. Let's find an example in the Bible. And it's contained in 1 Corinthians 6.11. Now, you remember we read 9 and 10, all those lists of verses. Slanderous, adulterous homosexual, none of those people will enter the kingdom. So there's this whole list of, of sins. In verse 11, it says, 
And such were some of you. Some of you were idolaters is what Paul is saying. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were homosexuals. You were, it says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. That means you were set free. So Paul is saying to the people at Corinth, some of you were involved in homosexuality until you came to know Christ and then Christ set you free. And that's a message that's being lost in our society today that you can be set free. Um, Exodus International is a group of folks that minister to folks in homosexuality. They are folks who, who have come out of it and God is, is ministering in their lives. And if you, if you want to go to a place to get incredible information about this, helps for it. DVDs, books, articles, um, links to other, other websites. Exodus International, uh, I believe it's .org. I just forgot that. Yes, it is .org. Go to pastors.com. And, and there's a search engine. Put in the word homosexuality and you will get page after page after page of references, resources that you can look at. Focus on the family has a whole ministry to folks that are, that are trying to come out of homosexuality. Now, here's, here's some non-religious uh, sources that talk about this. National Association for Research and Therapy for Homosexuals. It's called NARTH. Do a Google search on that. You'll find it. They have said they chart a 25 to 30 percent cure rate for homosexuality. Masters and Johnson, who are psychologists, you can, again, do a Google search on that. They have reported a 79 percent cure rate, a 71 percent cure rate after five years. Okay, then the question becomes, define cure. <laughs> what do you mean by cured for homosexuality? And that's, that's a big question because we understand cure for alcoholism, right? When we say someone is an alcoholic, do you ever completely get over that? No. no. <laughs> yeah, that's a hearty no. You don't get over that. How then, what does a cure mean? Cure means you learn to resist the temptation of alcoholism. You get in a group of, of people where you can share honestly and openly and they, they hold you accountable. And if you do fall, they're, they're very quick to help you um, pick, your, pick your life up from that and, and move on. So when I'm talking about a cure, I, I don't mean that you forget the temptation. You will be tempted again and again and again. Satan is our enemy and he knows where we're weak. And if we have a weakness, guess what? That's where he's going to bombard you because that's the easiest place for him to pull you down. So, cured means you learn to resist the temptation. So, I, I think it's real important that you understand this. Being attracted to someone of the same sex, being attracted is not sin. It's a temptation to sin. Resisting that is possible through God and through um, healthy relationships of folks that will love you as you are and, and help you resist that temptation. I know people that because they've been tempted in this area, they've said, well, you know, I'm, I'm tempted in this area. The church has condemned me. I might as well go ahead. Well, no, resisting the temptation is possible. Giving into the thought, giving into the action, that's what determines that it's sin. Jesus Christ was tempted, but he didn't sin. It's what you choose to do with that temptation that determines whether it's sin or not. Well, here's one final question. If homosexuality is wrong... How come when I become a Christian, the urges don't leave me? Well, how come any urge to do wrong doesn't leave us when we become a Christian? As long as we are alive, again, there is an enemy of God that is very alive and real in this world. 
Satan and his demons. And Jesus said, he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And so he's going to tempt you as long as you are alive. For some reason, God has saved the the ultimate healing from everything that, that we struggle with for heaven when we get to be with him. But for here and now on this earth, he tends to let us grow little by little, bit by bit, um, until we mature. But here's another thing God does. God takes whatever your darkest, deepest, darkest secret is. And if you will confess that in a loving community, get in a group, a small group. By the way, what you're doing around the table, that's a small group. We're just doing it kind of in a rapid pace. Get in a small group of people that will love you that you can be honest with. Every time I've been in a small group and somebody will open up and drop a bombshell on the group that none of us suspected, never have I seen people recoil in horror and say, Oh my gosh, and run for the doors. Never seen that happen. You know what has happened? We've opened up our hearts to that person and said, I had no idea you were struggling with that. I will pray for you, I will ask you questions. I will do Bible study. That's what I've seen people do. And you begin to do life together. Because when you confess something, you bring it out in the open. You know what happens to the power Satan has in your life? When you keep it in the dark, Satan just beats you and beats you and beats you and has all kinds of power in your life. But when you confess it in a group and people love you and they don't recoil from you, you know what? All of the power that Satan has is drained out of that issue. And you find a safe, loving community that you can come into. Sounds like the people that have come out of homosexuality. What'd they say? I had a safe place where Christians loved me and listened to me and supported me. I don't care what your issue is. If you've got a group of people who know your name, who miss you when you're gone, and who will encourage you, you can overcome anything in your past. That's the power that God offers. Churches are not offering that, and that's why people are not coming to Christ in record numbers. We build that here, and we will explode. We are going to be a grace-dispensing church if it costs me my life. If it kills me, we are going to be a grace-dispensing church. I'm going to call sin, sin. But then I'm going to offer grace to anybody living in sin because I am a sinner. I have sins in my life. Actually, I look more like Wes than that one over there. This is more like my life. I have sins that I deal with. And I get on my knees quite often and say, God, how can you use someone like me? I'm a screw up. And it's at those times that God says, I love you, screw up. Get up off your knees. Quit wallowing in pity about your past. Learn something from it and then reach out to others. Because when I get involved in others' lives, it seems like the power of sin is not strong in my life anymore. Now, let me just finish with some advice for those who might be struggling with this or you have a friend who's struggling with it. These things that I listed on your listening guide actually came from a homosexual who came out of the homosexual lifestyle, is now married. But here's his advice. Let's look at these real quickly. Get professional help. Find a church with a caring ministry. And by the way, get professional help. There is a list of questions on Exodus International that you need to ask before you go to a counselor. There are key phrases that you need to ask, and the way that counselor responds to you will tell you whether they have a hidden agenda about homosexuality or whether they really want to help you. Um, Great, great resource there. Find a church with a caring ministry. 
We are starting Celebrate Recovery in about two months. T-minus two months. Um, yeah, Jason can't wait. Um, because we are, we are committed to helping people. And um, we're going to have folks, we're going to have divorced folks, we're going to have folks that are dealing with alcoholism, drug problems, homosexuality, prostitution. I mean, I, I look for this to be a hospital where people can come who need help. Um, meditate on God's Word. That's where power comes from. Change the places you go and who you go with. <laughs> the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. You need to surround yourself with people that will lift you up, not people that will tear you down. doesn't mean you go, don't go make relationships with those, but if all of your relationships are with people who are going to tear you down, guess what? You're eventually going to fall. Avoid the temptation to immediately throw yourself into a heterosexual relationship. Here's what he says. If you do that, you're going to feel like it didn't work and you'll immediately go back to your old lifestyle. Some good things to think about there. Homosexuality is a sin. It's not an unforgivable sin. People can change. That's what I'd tell my friends. And then I'd say, and I'm here to help you anytime, day or night. Sometimes that's all it takes to help someone change their ways. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for a chance to, to look at some stuff that just hard issues. Just things that we struggle with. And God, I need to confess that we as a church, that, that as an individual, I have not in my life done a good job of reaching out to people in the homosexual community. And I want to change that. I want to be used by you in anyone's life. So God, when I look into people's eyes from this day forward, Remind me that that is someone you created and that I will never look into the eyes of a person who does not matter to you. And if they matter to you, they better matter to me. Make this church a grace-dispensing church. Make this a place, a safe place for people to come and get healing. Power to face the problems in this life, not just the next. Heaven's great, God. And I look forward to that. But we need power right now. Because if we're honest, a lot of our lives are falling apart. So change our hearts, oh God. Make us look more like you. And then help us touch another heart and another heart and another heart as we watch the kingdom of God explode before our eyes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.